one of those people that really likes that big, long intro. Somebody pulls out the paper and says, well, he's got this and this and this. No, I've, I've got a Bible. I've got a few notes. And I'm in front of a, a group of people who are Christians. And it's really about all we need to know. But I do bring you greetings from Montana Bible College that um, I was hired on in June, just this summer, and getting ready for a school year which kicks off this week. All of a sudden, here we go. And that maybe was something that some of the children didn't want to be reminded of, or some of the older students were like, yeah, we got to settle down and kind of get into the school year here again. Here we go. But uh, one of my roles that I get to do at the school is to work directly with students and kind of help fashion a, a journey for them as they come to get um, really more biblical training, but then really the, it's all it's well-rounded. So there's so much more than just studying the Bible. There's something, it's figuring out who are you, where are you going, what's God's call in my life. And so as young adults are working through that one, I get the joy of working right alongside of them and uh, helping them to discover what that journey might look like. And then I also get the joy of getting out and about and getting to meet people in various churches and bringing, uh, really teaching. I love the fact that um, it's the idea of teaching here. I believe that we teach Christians. We preach to the non-believers because they need to know the declaration of and maybe a kind of a fine point on language there. But I think when we teach, my goal is here today to bring something that's useful to you, to bring something that uh, you can say, I have a way of putting that into my walk. One of the challenges is when you come in front of a group of people that have been going to church for a long time. They've heard a lot of messages. They've seen a lot of different people stand up in this place and teach from the Word. And how do you bring something that they haven't heard? I don't try and do that. What I try and do is probably review some of the things that you have heard in the past, bring them back to mind, maybe open up a couple new ideas in that area and say, remember, let's go back to what we know we should be following. Here's maybe some ideas of how we could challenge ourselves and let's go do it. Now, Paul, one of the things I didn't ask is how long do I get to go? Is it? <laughs> What's that? Two hours. So you guys don't do lunch at 12. Okay, I like that. All right, there's some freedom in here. But usually I kind of watch for people starting to nod off, people starting to get a little bit antsy and, and so forth. And I, I have had people fall asleep on me before, and I try and make sure that they're awake before everybody stands up again. Uh, but uh, it's, there's, a, there's a fine line. One of the things that is risky when you give a pastor a microphone is... Just look out. They have so many things they just want to share, and they think that what their words are is something that everybody wants to hear. And that's not always the case. Uh, this morning, I hope that I can bring something that is useful to you and keep your attention as much as possible in that. Um, would you pray with me before we begin? Father in heaven, what a treat to be able to meet some new people but to know that Jesus is here, to know that the Holy Spirit is working amongst uh, this body of people, that they have, there has been a faithfulness here 
to continue to keep the doors open, to continue to, to invite people to be able to be a part of uh, the meetings that happen here, worship services that happen here, Lord, fellowship that happens here. So I ask you to bless this body of Christians as they continue to hold to the truth of your word, work at figuring out ways to live that out and to honor you and at the same time to love people. Father, I pray that you would bring people to this fellowship, to this church, to this gathering as they need, as you see the need of others to be a part here. They may come and then they may understand that there's a love here that the world doesn't know about, doesn't have, but that this group of people have been faithful week in and week out to have a place available to those that need to discover who Jesus is. And then there's a place here for us to be able to, as Christians, grow in our faith, grow in our understanding, sometimes be reminded of something we already knew, but to be able to take those things and live a life that's honorable to you. Father, those are some of our goals, and we want to do so with that kind of motivation because you've loved us first. Thank you for that love. Thank you for your word. As we open it now, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together and that we may lift your word up and honor it in a way that's really honoring to you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter. This guy is... Uh, he was a unique follower of Jesus. There's a lot of um, interesting pieces to Peter. But I think when we begin to study his writing and kind of keep in mind some of the stories that we know about him, there's times when we probably would find ourselves going, wait a minute, is this the same guy? Is this the same person who uh, stuck his foot in his mouth quite often? as Jesus was training him up to be a, a follower of? Is this the same person that denied Jesus? Uh, wow, you read his writing and you find yourself saying, there must have been a change. There must have been quite a change that Jesus caused to happen in him, that the Holy Spirit revealed in him, through him, uh, for us to be able to read centuries later of a guy who was transformed by the love of this God, incredible love. I want to read through the first chapter of Peter. We're going to focus on kind of the last part of it. So if you're looking at the sermon notes and you're going, wait a minute, he's supposed to be in verse 13 and following. I know, but I have the microphone and I can start wherever I want. Okay, so we're going to start at the beginning of this because you'll notice that in verse 13, What's the first word in that verse 13? Therefore, and I'm sure you've been taught when you see the word therefore, you're supposed to say, what's it there for? Okay, this is simple stuff. We're just going to start with the basics and then we're going to keep building on that. So if we're going to be looking at verse 13 and we're going to say, what's it there for? Well, we've got to know what the first 12 verses were. So we'll at least read through them. I'll try really hard not to comment on them because we might approach the two-hour mark. Uh, I need to keep it down to my text. But Peter introduces himself, and he, does a, he gives a lot of information really quickly that becomes the basis of where he's going in verse 13. So it starts out verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. Does the, does the New Testament mention the Trinity? It sure does right here, doesn't it? There we have the Father, the Spirit, and the Son brought right in front of us. They all have a work in this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So there's been some new things offered to you people. Peter says, I want you to understand what you have in Christ, what you have been given, what God has made preparation for. And then verse 13, he says, therefore, so based on all that, that I just wrote, a lot of information, really, really condensed. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For... All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
So we want to start in verse 13. You have a little outline of the notes is where I'm going, so no surprises. But if quite a ways in, you see that I'm only on point two, you know that it's still going to take some time. All right, so at least you know where I'm headed. But what my style is, is I like to lay a truth out in front of the folks that I'm speaking with as my goal then to say, what I'm doing with this truth is it's my responsibility then to unpack that and to demonstrate to you that that truth is in this text. All right, fair enough? So as I work through it, I'll build on the points that I think stand out in this text and saying, this is where I'm going. And you have the right to be able to question whether I'm getting there or not and work that through. Okay, so that's a little bit of my style. So the, the part that I want to emphasize, along with the title, obviously, Therefore Be Holy, where is he going with this? What I'm going to set in front of you, the premise here, becoming holy will be my desire as I consider who I am in Jesus and realize all he has given me. So there's a cause and effect here. The goal is to be holy. How do I do that? It's going to be a response. It's going to be a, re a reaction to or something that is in me developing as I do something else. Because, see, I can't just crank this up and say, I want to be holy today. How many of you have tried that? It falls pretty quickly. I think the text here, Peter says, I'm going to teach you how to do some things that you are capable of doing, and the end result coming out of that is going to be holiness. Sounds fair, doesn't it? Thank you, Peter, for being able to break this down, because to follow a holy God is not an easy thing to do, is it? Mm. But now I want to kind of lay some groundwork in the, and kind of catch you up. See, one of the challenges of teaching, bringing a text, is my mind's been thinking about it. You're coming in here this morning, and most of you, you didn't see the title. You didn't, you didn't even know who I am. And yet you're trying to catch up to me right now. Do you realize that? Your minds are trying to catch up real quickly with, how do I understand what he's trying to go to? What he's trying to say? What he's trying to help us understand? So I'm thinking back to, to kind of help you catch up there. I'm thinking back to days when I was younger, growing up. And I'm guessing that some of you have some similar memories. Uh, did mom have some special dishes in the cupboard that only came out when guests were over for a meal? You remember that? Yeah, some naughty. You didn't dare touch those dishes for every day, did you? No way. There was a fear of mom in place that kept you from misusing those dishes. And maybe she let you wash them after the meal, but you knew that you had to take care of those. So all of a sudden, you're realizing, and there was something pretty special there. I'm thinking maybe some of you were like me when you were younger. You had special clothes set aside for special occasions. You better not play out in the yard in those clothes. What happens if you get that knee scraped? You get those pants dirty. A little fear of mom, right? And then if it gets real serious, she'll bring dad in. You don't abuse those clothes. Then I'm thinking there's also the, the, the room in the house that had a, a set aside, maybe a sofa in it or a, a nice chair, really clean carpet. And if you came in from working or playing, and you were dirty and sweaty, did you dare sit down in that furniture? What would happen? 
There's a set-apartness. There's a holiness that we connect to those pictures that we can all of a sudden remember and go, hmm, I knew, I understood. There was a fear connected with this that those were rules of the house. And I learned pretty quickly how to abide. And so I think that when we're looking at this text here, Peter is saying, I want you to understand the way things work because then it's going to be much easier for you to be able to function within what this incredible God wants to do in us, for us, and through us so that others can see. So how do we stay pure? How do we live out this holiness in a fallen world? How does that happen? Well, some people might say, well, if you seclude yourself and, and just wall yourself away from the world, you can pull it off, kind of like a monastery, right? That's where you're going to be safe from all of the things of the world that could damage your purity. How about if we just go and live in a place where there's just Christian people? Just, just get a group of people that all love Jesus and go kind of seclude ourselves over in that region there. Then we'll be safe from the impurity of a fallen world. Communal kind of living. I don't see where the Bible promotes those things as the answer. They might be a, a, a way to go about developing maybe parts of the kingdom and so forth, but this isn't really the answer. Peter is saying, I'm going to try and help you understand yourself, and I'm going to try and help you gain the tools that you need to become what God is calling you to become, holy. So holiness is this idea of being set apart. Have you noticed that this world sometimes has an attraction to it, and you kind of get really comfortable in it? and yet we're not supposed to call this home? How do you do that? It's a very natural thing to want to adopt it as our home, and yet we know here that our home is beyond this. So holiness says, set apart from this world. We'll unpack that a little bit more so. Um, God wants in us a, a desire to grow so that we have this um, same desire as He has for us to be set apart yet in the world. There's ways to do that. And there's a reason I would put in front of us also. There's a purpose in us being in the world and yet not of the world. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. Uh, I think Peter helps us get the answer as far as how this can happen in my life, in our lives. Uh, we're supposed to walk uh, in the world, but not trying to escape from it. Because God wants us here as a light, doesn't he? We know that. We understand that how do more people learn to know about Jesus and then come into a relationship with Jesus if all the Christians separate themselves physically and don't want to interact within the world that we live? Interesting challenge. Uh, see, you and I have been gifted, been blessed with experiencing the love of God in our life. Anybody ever been a witness in a court case? Just speak to what you saw. Speak to what you experienced. That's all we're asking you to do. And God comes along and says, I have you here. I have you in the world. I have you folks in Montana so that you can testify to my love that I've demonstrated to you, that I've, that I've given to you as a gift, that I've walked and shown you day by day by day. I want you here to be able to show others a love that you know already. So in the beginning here, he says... I want you to prepare your minds for action. 
and being sober-minded. There's this idea here, I want you to take a hold of your mind. Don't let it just wander. Don't let it just do what it wants to do. You have the ability, he says, to take control of your mind. Think thoughts that you and I choose to think. It's my choice. I can't blame somebody else for thoughts that enter in and that take me and, and take me and wander me down some kind of a, a path to being lost. He says, you have. He's, would, would God command us through the scriptures, would God tell us to do something that we don't have the ability to do? Think about that. Would he call us to do something that he hasn't given us the ability to do? He says, take a hold of your mind. I want you thinking with my thoughts. I want you to understand how good I've been to you because this is going to be the beginning of a process. Okay, And I would put in front of you a challenge, a statement. You see what you think of this one. I can change my mind, but I cannot change my heart. If I will change my mind, the Lord will change my heart. Think about that with me, because it's critical to what I'm going to be talking about here. See, I, I have the ability to change the way I think about something, don't I? But I don't have the ability to transform my heart. That's God's work in me. But if I refuse to change the way I think about something, God can't move in and change my heart. Does that make sense? Now, I'd want you to, to look at that and say, it's not just an overall necessarily. There can be bits and pockets of things within my life that I, I have chosen not to change my mind about. And therefore, God, He's not able to move in and change those things. See, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 60, 70, 80 years. He's still working in you to transform, to make every piece of me holy. So it's not as if I can say, well, I changed my mind once 25 years ago. Therefore, I'm good. No, because you learn and you gain and you, you uh, move on through life and God introduces more and more to you that He says, I want you to think about this. I want you to challenge your thoughts on this. I want you to look at information about this. This is one of the things that we're inviting students to come to Montana Bible College for. Come to this place where we'll do some training and we'll help challenge the way that you think. Because you then, as you change the way you think... You really invite the Holy Spirit to come in, do something in your heart. Then you've got a transformed heart that is now able to do some more that God is calling us to do. This is the sequence of events and the way that it happens. See, natural man, this idea, he says, uh, you know, set your hope fully on the grace that will come to you when Jesus is revealed, when he comes back. But he says, don't conform, don't give in to the passions of what you used to know, your former ignorance. He says, you didn't know these things then, but you know them today. You know them now. And that's not a, oh no, I know what I'm supposed to do. So No, no, no. It's this idea of, I know something. The Holy Spirit has made it possible for me to understand some things. Now I'm able to walk forward in this and watch Him continue to transform my life. This is an exciting thing to be able to let God transform my life. But see, the way that the people, you and I, used to be ruled, or the way that we worked as natural man, unsaved man, unchanged man, is it was body, flesh, then mind. Mind would kind of interact with what the body wanted, and at the end is the spirit. 
when we become a Christian, God transforms the possibility of how that can now be changed in the way that I work. As I become a new person, I'm led by spirit, then my mind, and then my body obeys. See the difference? Natural man, body starts it all, mind kind of connects with that, and the spirit is somewhere over here, afterthought. When I'm transformed, now I begin to think spirit. Spirit moves in me. Then my mind is challenged to think about things and understand what I believe about this. And then my body obeys, as it must, because of the changes that have happened. Okay. So, again, this idea, I can't, I'm not going to just muster up the strength inside of me to be a different person. I'm going to put some pieces in place that will lay the groundwork for this transformation to occur. In 1 John 3, he says, and I'm going to use some different verses to kind of back this up. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, becoming holy. As this process works, Christ returns. We're ready for Him because we've gone through this process of becoming holy, changing our minds so that He can change our heart. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. That's 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. So with a changed heart, now I'm able to walk this set-apart life that I'm called to. Do you see the connection there? Now what happens if you try and walk a holy life and your heart isn't changed? Any ideas? Anybody ever try that? See, you can be a Christian for decades and try that in some area of your life and find that it won't work. Okay, so the idea again... If my mind is changed, then He can change my heart. When my heart is changed, I can walk set apart in this world in a holiness that follows Jesus. See, now I don't know if you're used to responding to somebody when they ask you a question because you're sitting in the pews, you're all like this, and I'm up here, and you're supposed to listen. But you can respond to me, all right? Has anybody ever experienced that to where a part of their life it wasn't working? You kind of felt like you were running into a wall. And you're like, what's going on? I love Jesus. I want to follow Him. But yet this part isn't working. I would propose to you that it's a change of mind that's needed first. Can you learn new things at 75 years old? <laughs> Some of you younger people are nodding your head. How do you know? <laughs> I'll lower the age. Can you learn new things at 35? Yeah, it's possible. But what has to happen for you to learn new things? You have to open your mind to it. You have to be willing to think with some information. You have to be able to process that and see if there's something that makes a little bit more sense here. Wow. And then those terrible words, I was wrong. All oh, those hurt, don't they? So hard to say. Mm. So there's some things that we have to prepare for. Students have to prepare for tests. Maybe some of you have prepared for a birthday party or things. We have to get things in place so that it can happen. All right? Um, removing things from my life that may distract me from walking after Jesus. What do those look like? Well, things like fear, jealousy, hate, unforgiveness, impurity, selfish anger, worry. Um, I know I'm not supposed to. If I experience those things, does that mean that I just don't not walking with Jesus? Not necessarily. 
It means that we should turn it around and say, wait a minute, why am I fearful? My Creator, my God, my Father, rules and reigns over everything. What's going to come after me that He doesn't know about and that He hasn't already planned for? Huh. You start thinking about those things, pretty soon where'd the fear go? It's just not there. Kind of evaporated. So there's ways to take those things up. Anybody know how to defrag a computer? I just know how to push the buttons that will get me there. Somebody's nodding. Why do you do that? Can you answer me? Why do you defrag a computer? There you go. Thank you. That was really better than I could have even said it. So what happens is all different things get dropped into your computer, and they get dropped all kind of down the line, if you think of a linear. And so you'll have all these little things here, kind of like a garage full of boxes scattered. And finally you go into the garage and you go, we've had it. Winter's coming, the car's got to fit. Let's defrag our garage. Let's stack these boxes and make room. All of a sudden we've, we've made some space here because we needed to have some order. Some of you, that makes you a little nervous. I don't like organizing things. That's where my wife comes in. She organizes. Hebrews 10.10. He says to us, And by that will, God's will, you have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You've been made holy. You are seated, as Ephesians 2 tells us, you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies when you accept Him as your Savior, Right? And then we catch up to the position that we've been placed in as we live our life and as we become holy, as he calls us to. Um, so, Tim, why do I, I want to... I know it makes sense to become holy and to, to, to do the things that will change my mind so that he can change my heart. Why? Because then he's going to be able to use you to the fullest abilities that he's given you. Do you want to be used by Jesus in this world that you're a part of? Yeah, I do. I want him to use. He's given you a unique set of gifts that only you have in your experiences in life and who you are. When you prepare and, and allow him to change your heart and reveal things, now all of a sudden you get to do everything that he has destined you to do and to become. Whoa, I want to make this choice to control my mind. I don't want the world controlling my mind. It can if I, if I don't take control, somebody will. Something will. Jesus wants me to be set apart. Um, and then you, you think about, um, as he's talking here, and if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, some people don't have a good picture of Father. Do you realize that? The earthly Father wasn't a good model for whatever reason, and now all of a sudden we're, we're, we're inviting them to go meet with the Father. We don't need to change that term to something less than father or different from father, we need to help them understand who is this father, right? And he's saying here, he says, I'm not calling you to be in terror of being around the father. Nobody says, out of fear, think about this. You're calling on him. You, you want him helping you in life. But he says, he is going to be that is the one that will judge you according to your deeds. Is that for punishment? Do I think... If I'm in Jesus Christ, if I'm a saved, do I have punishment coming to me? Just this means yes and this means no. <laughs> I really hope you know. Christians don't have punishment coming. Where did the punishment go? On the cross. So he's judging my deeds for rewards, isn't he? Now I'm an account to what I do, 
but he's saying, here's the rewards that are waiting for you. This is the Father. This is the, the kind of the mindset that I want you to function with. You go to him, and he's the one who's working this through so that you can become somebody with a changed mind, changed heart, set, it, set apart as you walk in this world as a light for Jesus Christ. Peter says, I want that for you. I want all of this for you. Um, okay, the first point's a long one. That's what's taking some time there. The, le- the rest of them aren't so heavy. Uh, so really, the idea of how do I really change my mind, Tim, you study, you learn, you understand. Okay, um, some of you I didn't, I don't see that you were in the Sunday school class this morning. Okay, not I don't want to step on toes, but if that room's not big enough, you guys can always come in here probably. But that's a place to study. Boy, now he's meddling, meddling my Sunday morning. I just don't come to church until eleven. So it is. I'm challenging you. Get together with some people. Sharpen your your knowledge of who this God is. Don't just take what the teacher says. Push back a little bit. Make sure that you understand what's going on so that you can uh, apply these truths in your life and continue to change your mind, transforming uh, that so that Jesus can change your heart. Number two, buying me back. Okay, This is a motivational point here that I think is, is helpful. Buying me back from the power of sin and death was very costly. Should I be grateful for the price that was paid? You know, think about this with, let's say that there's an alcoholic who, uh, his, his liver just failed, okay, his or her. And yet there's a family member that says, I will donate a liver. Trans, uh, the, the, the surgery goes well, everything's awesome, new life, right? Is that person who receives that costly answer, healing, Are they grateful to the family member who donated? Probably. Are they motivated to change their behavior? Good possibility. Sometimes when I'm not showing my gratitude for what Jesus has done, I would invite you and me to go back to how costly was it? Did I get a little casual with the cost? Should I review that one a little bit and then let my behavior start to change accordingly because I'm grateful. And that's not a spanking. That's just an invitation. That, that There's the answer. If I'm feeling a little bit kind of cavalier, kind of casual about my Christian walk, folks, just sit down a little bit, go through some verses, talk with somebody else about how, did, how, did I, how was I declared holy through Jesus' death? Costly. Wow. Am I showing him my appreciation to the level that I should? Hmm, maybe not. Just change it. Just change it. Motivation comes out of realizing there's a change of mind again. Um, When I consider the cost and appreciate, truly appreciate, um, have you ever said to your children, you just don't know how to appreciate that? You don't have much appreciation for what you've been given. You ever say that? Sounds like your mom or dad, doesn't it? Now all of a sudden you're saying it to somebody. You go, I said I'd never say that to somebody. But all of a sudden you're sensing maybe their behavior is coming out of lack of appreciation for something. It's not so much a scolding as much as a mind challenge to say, why don't you consider what you've been given? I think your behavior will change as you realize what you've been given. 
So I need to stop and consider. Verse, uh, point three. Evidence of my new life in Jesus. Here's what I want to demonstrate to you. I think it's in here. Evidence of my new life in Jesus is seen in my love for fellow believers. Now, he's saying in verse 22 here, he's saying, you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Kind of that phileo. You, you've probably heard those different terms for love, agape, and phileo. Okay? Phileo is kind of that Philadelphia, brotherly love kind of affection. I'm fond, fond of you. He says, as you've purified your souls, you've seen that there's this sincere brotherly love between you. He says, but I'm going to call you to another level. Brotherly love is somewhat easy. He says, I want you to love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Here's your motivation again. Since you have been born again, I want this agape love to come out of you. Okay? What, as, as we look at... Um, Loving others with that kind of self-sacrificing love. Agape is the highest level of love within God's teaching that we can arrive at, really. It's motivated by an understanding of what I've been given and how I can give it back. It's an incredible level. Uh, parents are, you know, they agape their children. If their children need something, they sacrifice Whatever it takes, it's just there. It shows up. Um, you think about this with Peter. What does Peter know about fond affection or phileo kind of love versus agape love? Do you remember the interaction between him and Jesus on the beach when, after Jesus had risen from the grave? And Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you agape me? And you can look this up in your Greek New Testament online if you want and verify that what I'm saying here is true. The words that he uses, do you agape me? Do you have a sacrificing love? Remember, Peter just recently had denied him. And Jesus was calling him back to the relationship. And Peter says, Jesus, you know I have a phileo for you. I have a brotherly affection for you. What did that feel like for Peter to have to say that? And Jesus says a second time, he says, do you agape me, Peter? Do you have this level of love up here? Peter says, Jesus, you know that I have a phileo. I have a fond affection for you. And then Jesus says to him the third time, and it grieved Peter. He says to him, Peter, do you have a phileo, brotherly affection for me? Peter says, yeah, Jesus, you know that that's where it's at right now. What did Jesus do with Peter from there? He restored him. He became leader of the apostles. That's where he was. What does he know about this as he writes this to us? Oh, he knows firsthand, doesn't he? He lived it. I don't have that kind of love for you, Jesus. I want it. I don't have it. What did Jesus give him? He said, go out and feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Go and do the work of the ministry. And you're going to watch that love. It's in you, Peter. You're capable. And I would put in front of us that sometimes we don't have that level of love for Jesus. Is he, is he spanking us over that? No. No, he says, come on. Come on, let's go. And I'm going to work in you, and you're going to gain that kind of depth of love for me, and you're going to gain it for others, because I want you to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. But we live in an impure world. Ah, change your mind. Let God change your heart. 
Watch him develop you into a, into a person that just lets an agape, a sacrificial love flow from you out to others, especially to other Christians. I love the size of that fellowship hall. I'm guessing there's a lot of really cool things that happen here around food usually, right? Yeah, that's it. That's the way it has to happen. And in that fellowship hall is a lot of love, agape level of love, traded back and forth amongst people. Okay? Some maybe aren't quite there yet. Maybe they don't understand it yet. That's okay. It's a process. But their minds will begin to be challenged by the love that they see amongst you as believers and pretty soon, God's going to transform their heart. Their heart now has the ability to agape other Christians and other people in the world that need it. Do you see the sequence of events? It starts with me changing my mind. 1 John 4, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves agape has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. See, if we don't have love flowing from us, and, and if you're maybe sitting here going, I, I wish I had that kind of love. He says the answer here is because you're not allowing the change of mind so that God can move in. See, the only way you can love sacrificially is with the Holy Spirit helping. It's the only way. It's from Him. Okay. Then he, he closes out and he says, I, I want you to understand something pretty fascinating. He says, for... Verse 24 there, it's, it's linking to that idea as far as having this kind of love for each other. He says, you're going to have it through the living and abiding Word of God because, he says, natural man, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower. Man is going to wither and fall. Natural man. The one who is body, mind, spirit. But the one who is spirit-led works to control their mind, grab a hold of their mind, and the body obeys, he says, that's different than what this Old Testament section of Scripture talks about. It's in there, it says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. A couple quick facts that just are fascinating about the word. The power and truth found in the word of the Lord stands forever. You know this up here. Here's just a couple things to kind of point to that again. Written on material that perishes. This is out of a book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He says, written on material that perishes, having to be copied and recopied for hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press, people had to keep making copies. If it were up to me to hand the Bible forward, I'd probably do a really bad job because I'm just not good at copying things really, really well and passing them on. But people did this for us. It did not diminish its style, correctness, nor existence. The Bible, compared with other ancient writings, has more manuscript evidence, more pieces of paper to where it was copied down. There's so many of them out there, more than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. If you're an English teacher, you know that when you read through a classical piece of literature, you trust that that thing is solid. It's what the, the story writer wrote that you're reading. Well, the Bible has more evidence behind it than any ten of those. Put that together. This one's in 303 A.D. The Roman emperor Diocletian demanded that every copy of, of the scriptures in the Roman Empire be burned. He failed. And 25 years later, the Roman emperor Constantine commissioned a scholar named Eusebius to prepare 50 copies of the Bible at government expense. Don't you love it? God can never 
be taken by this world and put aside. His word will never. This one's even better yet. Voltaire, the French skeptic and unbeliever who died in 1778, said that 100... Get the gravity of this prophetic statement that he's trying to utter. He said that 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history. From 1778, that's when he died. He says, so by 1878, it'll be swept from existence, passed into history, and that the Bible would be a forgotten book. Only 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society used his press and his house to produce stacks of Bibles. Does God have a sense of humor sometimes? Mm. <laughs> his ways of doing things, this word will never pass. It remains forever. The final little piece in there, he says, and this word, this word that has survived countless attempts to eradicate it from this world. This word is the good news that was preached to you. This word is what you were able to listen to. You were able to chew on it. You were able to bring it in and let it become something of transforming nature to you. This word will never go away. It will endure forever. Natural man, he's going to come and go. Natural man who's been led by body, mind, and then spirit, he has a short stay. Those of you, those of us who have this word in us, eternal. Who defines marriage? Right here. Okay. Who defines morality? Who defines value of life? Who defines the story of creation? Who defines the gospel? Who defines life after death? Who defines what a woman is? Who defines what a man is? See, we don't have to look beyond what we already know. Isn't that something? You may be shocked and uh, kind of unsettled by where the world is going in what it's trying to do in you know, direct response to destroy this word and truth. But folks, they're desperate. Instead of getting upset, which I, there's times when I do, when I see something new, uh, our response needs to be they're confused. They are desperate. They are grasping for straws. They don't know what to do with what's inside of them. You and I do. You and I know the answers. They need to change their mind so that God can change their heart. See, when you share the gospel with somebody, you explain to them about Jesus, you're really asking them, would you please change your mind about what you think life is all about? Would you please stop and consider something different? And I want to introduce you to Jesus, and I want to introduce you to things He promised, what He offers, and what I've lived. The world needs a change of mind. It's really not that complicated. And yet, when you continue to run away from God, you are, you are bound to come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. Um, are we prompted to pray more for the confusion that's going on in the world today? There's a, a poem 
And I thought it was pretty powerful. With poetry, see, you have to stop and you have to really pay attention to the words because it comes at you so fast. I'll try and read it slowly so that we can all grab what's being said here. It's called The Thorn. I stood a mendicant of God before his royal throne, and I begged him for one priceless gift which I could call my own. I took the gift from out his hand, but as I would depart, I cried, But Lord, this is a thorn, and it has pierced my heart. This is a strange, a hurtful gift which thou hast given me. He said, My child, I give good gifts and gave my best to thee. I took it home, and though at first the cruel thorn hurt sore, as long years passed, I learned at last to love it more and more. I learned he never gives a thorn without this added grace. He takes the thorn to pin aside the veil which hides his face. This is the God that loves us. This is the God that calls us forward. This is the God that says, change your mind. When you run into the the walls and you don't think that your Christian walk is working, you're frustrated in this area of your life because it seems to just not change, he says, come on, it's okay. Walk with me. There's something needs to change in the way you think about that area. Oh, but Lord, I really want to keep those thoughts the way they are. He says, you're going to keep running into the brick wall. I want to change that part of you. And then finally I say, okay, Lord, how do I need to think differently? He says, good, now we can do something. And I'll change your heart. The application that I put down for you at the end, as you come out of this, see, one of the challenges in speaking that they taught us in school was when you you spend time preparing a message and you share it with people, statistics say that by tomorrow afternoon, 92% of what I just shared with you will be gone out of your mind. That's really humbling to a person speaking and teaching, isn't it? It's like, how do we change that? Well, the change is going to be what you do with this. See, See, I just brought to you a section of the word that God brought to you. I'm just here, just a person kind of sharing some words. What are you going to do with this? Are you going to go back to this text tonight or tomorrow? Maybe sit down with a family at at devotion time and, and pull out some of these verses and say, what is God saying to me personally? There's a chance that we can change that 92% and lower that so that less is forgotten. Not what I said, but what God is saying here. There's my challenge to you, all right? Is do something with this text so that it doesn't just become vaporized by tomorrow afternoon. So an application to consider, you know, what you do with this is kind of up to you, but what area of your life will you choose? And I'm assuming, I'm, I'm implying that everybody sitting here has an area in their life that the Holy Spirit doesn't have complete control over yet. What area of your life will you choose to give, change my mind, my choice, the Holy Spirit freedom to call you to be and to make you holy? So in other words, He's calling you to be holy, and He's also going to do the heavy lifting. Isn't that encouraging? If I give it up to Him, He says, okay, I'll take it, I'll do it, let's go.
I'm going to stop there because there's so much more to be had. But please work with that a little bit. This is God's word. This isn't Tim's word. We know that. And yet, God has things to reveal to you in that text that he didn't even reveal to me for this message. Do you believe that? There are layers in there. I don't know really you. Um, There's some nice people here I've met so far. They shook my hand and they smiled at me. So nice people. But I don't know what you're living with. I don't know what you go home to this afternoon. I don't know what's going on in family dynamics. I don't know if there's maybe uh, some estrangement between parent and child or brother and sister. Tim, yeah, what do we do about those things? Because it hurts me. It doesn't really fit what I know to, to be, should be happening within my faith walk. Change my mind and let God move in and change my heart. See, you and I try and change our heart, and it doesn't work because it's backwards. Change my mind. God moves in and changes my heart. If I refuse to change my mind, He cannot change my heart. Process that one a little bit. Check to see if that makes sense to you with the Bible that you read. All right? Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are so good. We know you're good, but then even after we study more of your word, we realize you, you offer us the answer. You offer us all of the work being done through Jesus Christ. You call us to take control of the parts that we can, the way that we think, the way that we act. Lord, do a work in us. Bring humility over us so that we can look at those areas where the Holy Spirit's kind of pointing to and we can say, Lord, have at it. I want to become holy so that I can do everything that you've gifted me to do. Lord, you're so good. Thank you for this time that we've had together to look into your word. Reveal to us more of what you want us to see. As people do their own study, Lord, show them more of what you want them to see in there. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we ask all these things. Amen.